Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chazeski Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We'll touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we talk about some advancements and cautions with certain household electronics. And then we talk about how you can get a Google AI to make appointments and reservations on your behalf. Let's get started. Microphones are all over the place these days, listening to our commands and sometimes more. According to a statistic posted in January of this year, over 100 million Amazon Echoes have been sold. There's also Google Home, Apple HomePod, and of course Siri. Um, there are a lot of cool features um, you know, through these sorts of devices that can make life easier. They can play music on command, order products, keep track of grocery lists, tell us about the weather, traffic, but there are certainly some drawbacks. Yes, these nice features can come at the cost of privacy. They're collecting a whole lot of data on us. In fact, I have this nagging fear that my smart devices are all constantly listening. And if they are constantly listening, they could really just be constantly recording, couldn't they? Yeah, so an article by Adam Clark Estes was posted on Gizmodo and discusses, um, quote unquote, the terrible truth about Alexa. So a main point of the article is that Alexa is listening and recording what you say. I knew it. <laughs> yes, you were right. There's, uh, I mean, there's a microphone that is on waiting to hear, you know, whatever the wake word is like, hey, Alexa, but this doesn't always work as it should. Estes notes that he recently read through a history of his commands to Alexa, but there were a number of times when the history read text not available audio was not intended for Alexa. One of the reasons for recording and monitoring Alexa's performance, of course, is to Im improve the human Alexa interactions, right? So they, they get data on, um, on what you're saying, what the commands are, and, and how Alexa responds, and they want to be able to, to check that Alexa's response is consistent with, um, with what was requested. But this means that there are also people who have access to your personal data about things you're saying, maybe when you don't want Alexa to be listening. So Estes references a Bloomberg article that discusses the Amazon employees around the world who work to transcribe the recordings so that they have um, more precise data on, on what you're actually saying and they can check it against um, you know, how Alexa responds. So it's like they're finding the labels in this supervised classification problem to validate their internal language translation models. Yes, yep, exactly. Yep. That sounds really concerning. I mean, are people concerned? Because I am someone's yeah. listening and transcribing stuff that I say. Yeah, I, I can imagine people simply thinking, well, great, my Alexa device is going to work better for me. So isn't that a good thing? And, and it certainly can be a good thing. But it also gives Amazon, et cetera, uh, access to all sorts of details about you. Uh, all this data on, on you, when, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, what music you like, what your interests are, maybe even what sorts of emotions you are experiencing. And they can tailor ads and product recommendations to you precisely. 
Uh, so Estes hypothesizes that eventually we could be recognized by our voices. And then with the abundance of microphones all over, we could essentially be constantly tracked. That's pretty grim. It's time to take an oath of silence. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So I just wanted that information as a backdrop to this discussion about a, a very short article from The Economist on how household electronics are undergoing a sensory makeover. So the backdrop being that we have these microphones that are listening. And now we're going to talk a little bit about something else. <laughs> so sensory suggests we're going to go beyond just sound of our voice. Maybe there's something else gonna, that's going to happen. I'm guessing it's not going to be an improvement for our privacy. <laughs> that is correct. So, uh, so now they are actually working to give these devices the ability to actually see what's going on around it. So researchers from Carnegie Mellon University, um, so the researchers are Chris Harrison and Gerard Ger uh, Lapu, have been developing this and they call it surface sight. So when you say the researchers are working on giving devices the ability to see what's going on, we're really talking about literally seeing. Yes, yeah, so um, exactly. So the researchers announced this at a conference in May, which uses uh, LIDAR. So LIDAR can send light pulses around a room and measures the return speed to give the device the ability to create an image of its surrounding. So, so now this device is able to actually um, kind of record, think of it like just pictures or, or what's going on in the vicinity of the device. So the, um, the abstract for the device on uh, Laput's La La um, website suggests that the device can help to provide additional context for the voice commands, which can then potentially help to improve the interpretation of the command. So for example, he notes that the surface site can estimate the direction the person is facing. So if a person is facing away, the voice command may not be as clear. And so, um, so maybe that information can help to improve what, um, how, for example, Alexa might, might interpret the command. Um, it could also track hand and finger gestures. Um, so maybe if you're mad at Alexa and you start pointing at her, uh, she can apologize for what she did. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but it seems to me at least that this could eventually lead to more video, surveil video surveillance and recording, you know, much like, like the voice recordings. So maybe the device will detect some object like, say, a soccer ball, and then they can do some targeted marketing for additional sports equipment, new shin pads or new cleats. Yeah, so it seems like eventually this sort of, um, you know, extra sight for the, um, for the devices like Alexa could become more, you know, with a more, um, the, the intention of being marketing focused, right? So, so if you think about what's going on with, with marketing ads, they're trying to get a sense of, um, what, what do you like? What, what do you want? What might you buy? And so if now they can actually see what's going on in your room, that's a lot more information about um, what your interests are. Like, do you have a, a bookshelf with books? What books are they? Maybe they could recommend other books, right? So it's all this information that could then be fed into some sort of um, artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithm that can then um, um, provide suggestions for um, things that you you may eventually like to purchase. So again, I mean, maybe maybe that's good. Like maybe you want 
really tailored suggestions for, for what you might want to buy or places you might want to go. So it's going to know what I want before I know it myself. It's very possible, Susan, that that is what happens. <laughs> so then what happens to free will? I, I probably won't <laughs> have any choice in anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. AI decides, makes our decisions for us. Uh, yes, I mean, so there there could be some benefits, like just some, if, if we just think down downstream, like maybe this sort of kind of video capability could help track, you know, if a person happened to have an emergency health issue, like a heart attack and collapse, so the device could call for an ambulance. Um, but But then we can think, you know, what if someone were to hack into your device and then uh, and then see what sorts of I don't know technology or, or high-end products that you have in your household, and then target your home as a potential um, break-in? I don't you know that that's just down downstream. If um, the raw if this um, information if your data gets into the wrong hands, that sort of thing I, I don't know could could potentially happen. But, um, but of course, you know, this is beyond the noted capabilities of Surface Site. Um, what, what they're, um, at least from, from their website, it seems like the, the main purpose of the Surface Site, at least at this time, is to help improve the, um, the interpretation of the voice commands. But I think we should, you know, still be on the lookout for these technological advances that really could sacrifice our privacy. Yeah, definitely. And and I feel that computer vision is getting to the point where feasibly our household appliances could really do all of these things, dynamically interpret, process, and respond to visual stimuli about what's physically in our homes. And as someone who owns one of these cleaning robots, not the Roomba, I have this thing called the Eufy, it's spelled <laughs> E-U-F-Y, not a sponsor. But what makes it so smart is that it can detect edges so it doesn't accidentally drive itself off the stairs, for example. So it is definitely seeing, um, just probably not in as much detail as what's being described here. But really to sell this idea, I think it's going to be important to come up with some applications that are really going to be positive impacts on consumers. And targeted marketing, I can totally see it heading that way. Um, it's just not something that appeals to me, right? I feel like we'd be giving, a lot, giving up a lot of our privacy for very little to gain. We're, we're helping Amazon get more rich mm -hmm. and, and at our own expense. So for the other application that you mentioned, the health issues, you know, there are maybe better solutions already, like having an accelerometer or, or a smartwatch. Those are things that are already going to be able to detect sudden falls or, or heart failure and so on. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, I think there, just as you said, there needs to be a, a stronger benefit for the consumer for this, for it to be worth you know, the, the sacrifices that some may decide to make. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> One of my favorite AI news stories from last year, Jesse, is about the Google Duplex. Of course, this was before we started the podcast, so we didn't really talk about it. Google Duplex was this new service that was announced at Google I.O. in 2018. Yeah, Google I.O. is an annual developer conference that takes place at Google's headquarters in Mountain View, California. The I.O. is a play in words, so I.O. stands for input-output, but also gave opportunity for the conference's tagline, innovation in the open. 
Yeah, that's pretty clever. (laughs) (laughs) So Google I.O. is a three-day event where cool new Google products and services are announced and demoed. Lots of big companies in Silicon Valley have big fashion shows like this, notably Apple, for example. And even those of us that are not able to attend in person can view um, most of what's happening online. So there's plenty of video recordings and, of course, a lot of press coverage so that we're not missing out on anything. Google Duplex was one of the highlights in last year's Google I.O. The service worked like this. So you want to make a reservation for dinner tomorrow at a nearby restaurant, but just cannot bring yourself to make a call. So you get Google to dial for you. Google will actually call in on your behalf with a human sounding AI making this reservation on your behalf. And if you haven't heard about this yet, you might be thinking like, wait a minute, I know how robots sound. No maitre d' at the restaurant will be comfortable making a reservation for some mechanical voice. That's where the genius of Google Duplex comes into play. The voice of Google Duplex is remarkably human-like, remarkably unlike the IBM AI we talked about in episode 13. This is a voice that knows how to speak with natural language, putting in a few filler words here and there. And Google Duplex's AI is what we would call a chatbot. That's a program that engages in interactive conversations using spoken language or text. Business Insider's intelligence research shows that by 2020, 80% of all businesses are expected to use chatbots in one way or another. Now, it may not be so straightforward to make reservations if you're trying to find a spot at a highly coveted restaurant, um, presumably if you're looking to get a last-minute seat at a five-star Michelin restaurant, the AI might actually get told no. Yep. So the AI is trained in ways of responding to things as well. It's not just calling in and saying, hey, I want a seat at 6 p.m. That would be a monumental failure. Instead, (laughs) this AI has to be trained in ways of understanding and responding to different versions of no and no but or, or what about. So in some cases, a restaurant may not have your exact requested time, but it might actually suggest a different time. And Google Duplex will actually be able to say, oh yeah, that would be great, or that's also going to work for us. Um, Of course, when setting up the request, the user would need to indicate some of these alternative times just in case the first choice doesn't work out. And if you haven't seen the demo, it is really worth going to YouTube and searching the term Google Duplex Demo. Uh, Susan had had mentioned it to me, and I went and watched it, and I was very impressed. <laughs> they have um, they have come two two demos or two calls. Uh, one is for a woman's haircut, and the other one is for a dinner reservation. Um, the second one is particularly impressive because the person on the other line uh, appears to not be a native English speaker. And so she doesn't, it seems like she doesn't fully understand the AI's question clearly, but the AI is able to clarify and they they just have this interesting, normal discussion. Yeah, I'll be honest. When I saw that, I thought, hmm, is this canned or is this actually real? Because it just was... It was so like, it was so great. It just showed that's exactly what would make, you know, something like Google Duplex really powerful, that it has infinite patience. It can sort of talk through all these things and clarify as needed. But just, it, it was, it was so unreal to me. I almost didn't believe it was real. Maybe it's not. Who knows? We'll never yeah. <laughs> 
But I will say that as someone who hates calling on the phone, um, which is ironic because I love doing this podcast. I love talking in general, but just not calling someone on the phone. Um, but as someone in that position, I think that having this idea of Google dialing in on my behalf to make a reservation is amazing. I mean, I already prefer restaurants that are available for reservations on opentable.com, but Google Duplex is available for so much more. Like, for example, if you need to make a reservation at a barbershop, as what Jesse mentioned, um, there are these places like the barbershops that don't have readily available online reservation systems. So, um, you know, this can be very, very helpful. So what about you, Jesse? How do you feel about it? Do you think you might use Google Duplex if it was available? Yeah. So I need to schedule a haircut soon. And I was... I was thinking I would really prefer if Google <laughs> Duplex would just make the call for me. I mean, really, it's been like over a month that I'm like, okay, I have to schedule a haircut, but I just cannot get around to calling. <laughs> it's so strange. Like the, the, the barriers that prevent us from being productive sometimes. It's literally about having to pick up the phone and call someone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's now been a year since Google Duplex was announced. And so, so what's actually become of it? Well, as of March 2019, Google Duplex is now available in 43 different states for, unfortunately, just users of Google's Pixel phones. And because Google I.O. 2019 occurred in May this year, marking the one-year anniversary of the debut of Google Duplex, a lot of reporters are once again talking about it and making note of where Google Duplex is today. So in an article in The Verge, there are definitely mixed reviews expressed by those on the other end taking reservations. So one person repeatedly saw Google come up on her restaurant phone's caller ID and immediately assumed the call was spam and didn't pick it up. Yeah, I mean, I probably think that too. Uh, so did people even know they were talking to a bot? The AI is supposed to announce that this, this is a bot talking sort of at the beginning of the conversation, but it's unclear whether the receiving end always heard that declaration. Like restaurants tend to be noisy, so sometimes that's the information that gets missed. Um, but at one restaurant in the article, the waitress had said that she couldn't believe she was talking to a bot and so that she had no idea that if it wasn't for the reporter telling her so, she would just never have guessed. And she noted that the AI even had a stutter. <laughs> and the consensus among restaurant workers that were interviewed in the article was really just the same, that they didn't think that the AI was at all like a bot. And perhaps it could be even better than a human in the sense that, you know, one person observed that humans often can get impatient or short if they're not quickly understood or accommodated over the phone. But Google Duplex would not have such negative emotions. Um, and, and by the way, it's not even that there's a single Google Duplex voice. There's actually plenty of different voices. So like if you're tired of hearing one thing, sometimes it might be like an Irish voice. Sometimes it might be like a New Yorker accent or something. So there's, there's so much variety going on there too. That's awesome. I'd go with the Irish accent. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this reminds me of back in episode, I think it was 13, when we were talking about the, the IBM debate machine and how it just sounded too robotic to be effective at swaying human emotions. It, it seemed like IBM could learn from Google in this respect, um, although IBM's AI for debating is you know, a lot more complex for sure, having to dynamically formulate these arguments based on a, a prompt that could really touch upon a, a wide variety of fields. 
but um, but Google Google Duplex um, probably just needed to excel at interpreting you know, time expressions and and maybe a number of other things related to conversations about making reservations. Yeah, and one of the things I first thought about when I heard of Google Duplex is just whether or not this is a long term solution that people want, or if it's eventually going to render itself obsolete. I mean, if everyone is like me and is phone phobic, then maybe restaurants should just exclusively do online reservations for all of its reservations. So maybe they don't need someone picking up the phone at the front desk only to talk to a robot. And then, you know, that person could probably be free to go and do something else. If a restaurant finds that maybe 80% of its reservations are coming through Google Duplex, Maybe that's the signal that it's time to consider moving to a system like OpenTable. I think it'd be hard to force all customers to make reservations online, but, but perhaps if more do, then the host or hostess at the restaurant would have a bit more time to do other things, such as you know checking on the patrons more often. <laughs> yep. And it turns out that Google Duplex today is very much integrated with online platforms like OpenTable. So to use Google Duplex, you go through um, the Android phones version of Siri, the Google Assistant. And a lot of times a Google Assistant will just go to the online reservation system like OpenTable or Yelp for you and fill out a form. So the only companies that are getting calls from the AIs, the ones that are mentioned in the interviews, um, these are companies that don't have such online reservation systems, but also have opted in to getting calls from Google. So it's not a long list of, unfortunately, barbershops that we can consider. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I, I guess it, it could still feel in, intrusive somehow to, to get a call from an AI without somehow opting into it first. So that's interesting that they, they have that option there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and just to summarize, so one year on, Google Duplex has not taken America by storm. It hasn't even really featured in Google I.O. 2019 very much, um, despite continued interest from the general public. Well, where it may continue to expand, um, it looks like Google Duplex will soon be able to help us with car rentals and booking movie tickets. Um, and that's not going to involve bots calling in on our behalf either. So like for car rentals, Google Duplex will function more like the behind the scenes autocomplete form thing um, where our you know, based on our travel itinerary, based on our name, um, it's basically going to be able to fill in all of that extra information without our having to do it ourselves. So it's becoming more and more like a fancy auto-completer <laughs> rather than a bot that talks to people. So you sound a bit let down, Susan. You know, I was just really looking forward to the day when I could make a doctor's appointment without calling in. Or maybe a day where I can say, hey, Google, I'd love to go out to dinner at 6 p.m. on Sunday at one of this long list of restaurants, just, just pick one for me, right? Like something that'll make it easy for me so that I can just be lazy, sit back and wait for things to be put on my calendar and then go do them. Well, th that day may still come um, if everything becomes online and there's some sort of system that will just automatically schedule things for us, um, even if, if calls aren't required. That's true, so. that's true. Hopefully, people are listening and are thinking about making a product like this. Yeah. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any questions or suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. That's databytes with a Y. And if you want to see the numerous articles that served as reference material for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.